I continue our fall sermon series called Rockstar, the David Saga. Today we look at David the Warrior. Now, to be honest, David actually doesn't make an appearance in this story, but this story happens around him and because of him and gives us a glimpse into a very important part of his life. David spent most of his early life on the battlefield, and so here is a glimpse into warfare in 1000 B.C. The man named Abner in this story is the general of the forces loyal to King Saul, and the man named Joab is commander-in-chief of the forces loyal to David. General Abner said to General Joab, let the young men come forward and play before us. And Joab said, let it be so. And so they came forward and were counted as they passed by, 12 for Saul and 12 for David. Each grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they all fell down together. The battle that followed was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten by the servants of David. There was a young soldier named Asahel, David's nephew, who was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. Asahel pursued General Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he followed him. And Abner looked back and said, Is it you, Asahel? And Asahel answered, It is I. Turn to your right or to your left, said Abner, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn from following Abner. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn away from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How could I show my face to your brother Joab? But Asahel refused to turn away, and Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back, and he fell there and died. And all those who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood silent. And when Joab returned home, He found that there were missing that day from David's forces 19 men and Asahel. And our lesson from the Hebrew Psalter is Psalm 63. This is a psalm of David. We will sing it together using hymn number 198 in the hymnal. And pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hope you'll read the worship notes uh, explaining this sermon. I'm very much indebted to one of my mentors for the idea behind this sermon. And so this story that I just read is about a battle in a civil war in an Israelite time about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. King Saul, the anointed monarch, first anointed monarch of Israel, has died in battle with the Philistines, the Israelites' external enemy, But the accession is not going well. In the south, the people have crowned King David to succeed Saul. But in the north, the people remain loyal to the Saulite dynasty and crown Saul's one remaining son king. His name is Ishbiel. Three of David's sons died with him in battle against the Philistines, but Ishbiel was too young to fight in that war, so he survives and in the north becomes Saul's successor. And so now there are these two crowns in Israel, and so these two armies, David's and Saul's, face each other across a pool in the town of Gibeon. Abner is loyal to Saul's forces and Joab to David's. And General Abner calls out across the pool to General Joab and says, Come, let the young men arise and play before us. 
And what they mean by that is that Joab and Abner will each set, select 12 of their finest warriors and have these 12 men, 24 men actually, confront each other in hand-to-hand combat. It's sort of like the earlier battle between Goliath and David. It's battle by proxy or battle by representative or battle by gladiator. So we can have at most 24 deaths instead of the hundreds that would happen in a general melee between these two armies. But something goes horribly wrong. Remember, these are brothers. They're all Hebrews, perhaps literally. They're brothers. They were all trained in basic training in the same boot camp where they were taught in hand-to-hand combat to engage their opponent intimately by grabbing his neck with the left hand and driving your dagger between his ribs with the other. And so that's exactly what all 24 of these guys do, and they all fall down dead. And so this battle by proxy is futile. The general melee they were hoping to avoid has to happen anyway. And then the Hebrew historian does the most remarkable thing. Instead of pulling his camera up and high to survey the battlefield swarming with hundreds of soldiers, he brings his camera up close and personal and in tight to show us just a couple of soldiers and what this means for the larger story. This is one of the greatest storytellers in history. And he's doing exactly what Stephen Ambrose and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg did with that HBO show, Band of Brothers, and what Steven Spielberg did again a little later with Saving Private Ryan, right? Through that micro-narrative of just a handful of men fighting the battle, you get the macro-narrative of the larger war. And so there they are, General Abner, Saul's loyal general and the seasoned veteran of a hundred military skirmishes, and David's nephew, Asahel, who is young and swift and fit, but green. And with the impetuous vigor of youth, Asahel decides he wants to bring home the war's most prized trophy, the head of the legendary General Abner. He wants the glory. He wants the Medal of Honor. Asahel was a track star in college. He is as swift as a gazelle. And Asahel zeroes in on the older Abner, who's in his 40s. His breath isn't what it used to be. He can't no longer run with the men in their 20s. His aerobic endurance is on the wane. And the deadly pursuit ranges across the entire battlefield. Asahel still strong and Abner more and more winded. And they know each other, Abner and Asahel. Not long before this, they'd fought on the same side as brothers against the Philistines. And Abner calls back over his shoulder, is it you, Asahel? And Asahel says, it is I. Pick on somebody your own size, says Abner. You're no match for my skills. I don't want to face your brother Joab and tell him I had to kill you. Pick on someone your own size. But Asahel returns to, refuses to turn aside. And then Abner pulls out the oldest trick in the battle books. He stops dead in his tracks, plants the tip of his spear firmly in the earth, places it under his arm, and lets Asahel run fast upon it so that the butt of his spear goes clean through him. The Bible is not squeamish about these bloody details. And the wound is mortal, and Asahel dies on the spot. And then the Bible tells us that all the soldiers who were fighting that battle stopped and stood still and fell silent when Asahel had died. And then at the end of the day, 
The Bible tells us this. When they got home and counted the casualties, they found that there were missing from David's troops 19 men and Asahel. Just the one name, a memorial moment. The Bible places a name on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And Dr. Thielman, my mentor, says that the point of this text is about the marvelous specificity of the love of God. God's eye is on the sparrow and on the warrior fallen in Flanders fields or on Okinawa's beaches. St. Augustine said God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. And so Jesus doesn't talk about juvenile delinquency. Jesus talks about a young man who ran far from home and spent all his money and ended up eating slop with the pigs. Jesus doesn't talk about evangelism. Jesus talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one gets lost and the shepherd abandons the 99 to find the one. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit inspires the Hebrew historian to talk about the missing forces of David, 19 men and, oh yes, Asahel. In the heart of God, the unknown soldier has a name. Whether they fight for a lost cause or a victorious one, whether they fight in a good war or a bad one, whether they fall on the beaches of Iwo Jima or in the tropical forests of Vietnam, God knows and weeps. They were found missing from the forces of David that day, 19 men. And oh yes, Asahel. Eight million soldiers died during World War I. Seven million were permanently disabled. Six million civilians in the influenza pandemic. It's 11 o'clock. The 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month 100 years ago. In the influenza pandemic of 1918, at least 50 million died. In the battle for the Argonne Forest, which led to the surrender of the Central Powers, 26,277 Americans were killed. The bloodiest day in American military history, worse even than Normandy and the Battle of the Bulge. Somewhere in my reading this week, I encountered the most heartbreaking line, the years of trench warfare on the Western Front achieved no major exchange of territory. So that's so heartbreaking. Three years staring at each other across that no man's land from their trenches. Sometimes they'd move up a little bit and retrench, move up and retrench. After three years, nothing had changed. They were exactly in the same position where they'd started from. So much wasted blood. So first you have to win the war, but then you have to win the peace, right? So many prominent features of our global map today were created at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. So many of the traumas we've endured in the last 100 years trace their origins to that day. World War I gave birth to the modern state of Iraq, which still unsettles the Middle East today. 
Palestine was set aside as an eventual homeland for the Jews, and still today, 100 years later, Arabs and Jews are killing each other. The Russian Empire collapsed and gave way to the Soviet Union, where Stalin killed maybe as many as 20 million. Bosnia, Serbia, and Croatia were born from World War I. 75 years later, in the 1990s, ethnic hatred was so virulent in the Balkans that thousands died. In 1923, a corporal in the German army felt so humiliated by the Treaty of Versailles that he tried to overthrow the German government with a coup called the Beer Hall Push. He was imprisoned for his rebellion, but 10 years later in 1933 managed to get himself elected Chancellor of Germany, and 10 years after that, in 1943, had managed to launch the final solution which would become responsible for the death of 6 million Jews. The armistice of the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month took place in a railroad car in a forest north of Paris. In 1940, when Adolf Hitler forced the surrender of the French, he used that same railroad car north of Paris. First you win the war, and then you win the peace. And so maybe the Allies learned their lesson from 1919 in 1945, which was an entirely different kind of peace, right? The Marshall Plan managed to turn our two fiercest foes into our finest friends, not to mention our most lucrative trading partners. It was brilliant. You turn your fierce foes into your fine friends. And that's been responsible for 75 years of peace and prosperity in Europe. Few glaring exceptions like Stalin and his gulags, Poland and Czechoslovakia and the Balkans. And we still had to face many challenges just over the horizon, Korea, Vietnam, 9-11, Iraq, Afghanistan. But 75 years of unbroken peace and prosperity forged by those values of the liberal democracy born in 1945, free speech, free but not unchecked market capitalism, a free press, free trade, a chief federal executive checked and balanced by the legislature and the judiciary, respect and understanding towards the different and the alien and the other and the uncompromised absolute equality of every human being as a child of God. This is no time to abandon those values of liberal democracy 75 years later. We're all one band of brothers, and one day you'll see we can live together when all the world is free. We stand together or we fall together. The Bible says that all who came to the place where Asahel fell stood still and paid homage. And at the end of the day, they were found missing from David's forces, 19 men, and oh yes, Asahel. A name is engraved on the tomb of the unknown soldier, and Kenilworth Union did just that in 1930. We needed to name our own. 116,708 Americans died in World War I, but we needed to name our own. Three Sunday school students who died in that war, Franklin Bellows, Charles Macklin, and many are where. Those windows in the transept, we all stand still and fall silent. 
There were missing from David's forces that day 19 men and, oh yes, Asahel. There were found missing from our forces that day 116,708 Americans. And, oh yes, Franklin, Charles, and Monnier. The marvelous specificity of God's love 